You know, it's been a, a fun couple weeks for us. I've been pondering, and, and I have to say, as a dad this Father's Day, I've probably been a little more emotional about all of that than I have in recent years. I've been realizing the milestones we've hit in our family in the last couple weeks are pretty significant. One of them was our youngest daughter graduated from eighth grade. Now we're going to have all of our girls in high school at one time, at one place, and, and that's pretty significant. Wondering how did we get through middle school and grade school and preschool, all that stuff. That, that's gone now. That's crazy. Another milestone, maybe even more significant than that, is the fact that our oldest daughter passed her driver's license test this week. And uh, yeah, um, I'm, I'm starting to get more gray hair as we speak. Um, it, but you know, it's just amazing how, how time goes by. It does not seem very long ago that our oldest was born. Um, her name's Abby, and we named her Abby Grace, not Abigail, because our last name is Schwichtenberg, after all. You've got to keep it short. And I remember holding her right after the C-section, and she was crying and saying her name, Abby Grace, it's okay, and having her stop crying, open her eyes, and look at me. And, I mean, just minutes after... She came out of the womb, and there was something beautiful to me about that, and I, I figured she recognized my voice. I'd been talking, reading stories all the time uh, during those nine months, and, and uh, that was pretty special as a dad. And I, I remember, too, when my youngest, Katie, was born, um, and she was due at the end of January, and my wife's water broke uh, during morning worship on Christmas Day. And... Uh, of course, I was preaching that day. That made for an interesting Christmas, to say the least. And, you know, and, and then I think about the moments as parents, how we've grown a lot. And as a dad, I, man, there's been a lot of challenges along the way, to say the least. Uh, one of them, when, when the girls were three and five, some of you have heard this before, but man, it, it was a benchmark moment in our family. Uh, we lived in a like 80-some-year-old house, a Chicago bungalow, a brick house, hardwood floors, original. I mean, just beautiful woodwork. And, and uh, anyway, we, it was on Memorial Day weekend. We were just pondering this the other day, asking the question, what were we doing how many years ago? And uh, they were three and five, respectively. And my wife was tired. We went to the Memorial Day parade. She laid down for a nap, and I, I took the kids upstairs after the parade, too, and put them down for a nap. Everybody was quiet. It was one of those rare moments I thought, you know what, I'm going to go outside and do some yard work, and I was transplanting hostas, I believe, and I remember it distinctly, because as I was watering them, about 30 minutes after coming outside, the water pressure changed. It was fluctuating. I thought that was strange. And I thought, well, I better check, see what's going on. Maybe my wife was doing laundry. Maybe she was up, wanted to let her know where I was. Maybe she was taking a shower. I, I didn't know. But as I came up the back porch, up the stairs, into the kitchen, I could hear the distinct sound of rushing water. And thought, this is very loud for a shower, but maybe she has the bathroom door open. And as I rounded through the kitchen, looking down the hallway, I saw it. Uh, did any of you ever see the movie The Money Pit? Anybody? Um, it was a scene out of that movie. The ceiling 
In the hallway, probably about a 10-foot section of ceiling, plaster, separated from the wood lath, and crashed to the, to the floor all at the same time with water pouring behind it. I, I knew enough that this is not good. <laughs> I panicked, like, what's going on? And, and I'm rushing down the hallway over the plaster and, and every, oh, it was a mess. And what, it's, I'm raining, it's raining on me and my wife wakes up, what are you doing? I said, what are you doing? And, and, and we realized the problem was upstairs. So we rushed up the stairs as quickly as we could to water that was cascading down the stairwell. And I'm going to say about two inches of water over the, 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 the upper floor and, and water everywhere. And, and the source of it became very clear. It was not a broken water main or pipe. It was my three-year-old daughter standing in the sink, naked, dancing, as the water was cascading over the edge of the sink. But I looked at the situation and I realized there's no way she could make it up there by herself. And I looked at her and I said, where's your sister? And she said, in bed, daddy, in bed. And I went into Abby's bedroom and it's true, she was in bed pretending to be asleep, completely drenched. <laughs> I was ready to commit a crime. I have, thankfully, the phone rang. It was a friend from my men's small group, and he said, hey, what are you doing today? <laughs> and he talked me off the ledge of potentially being in prison today. I was so mad. And as the rest of the day unfolded, every single room on the main level, it was just a matter of time, every room got affected. The bubbles started to form in the ceilings. And as we got the damage assessed in the next couple days, the amount was $30,000, of which there was no way we could ever pay for. Oh, man. Talk about challenges in parenting. What would you do? What would our Heavenly Father do? You know, it's interesting. At, at times, as dads, as parents, as children, we look at things very differently through our eyes in terms of what side of the offense we are on. What would we do if given the opportunity to face a situation that is overwhelming of our own making? I look at this and one answer to that is very clear. The answer, perhaps, is in what we read in the Gospel. I, I love what Tim Keller said some years ago, you may remember this, we, many of us, we read a book called The Prodigal God, which is about this text, and one of the things that Tim Keller says is that when you think of all of the teaching of Jesus on the kingdom of God and who he is as Messiah and what God is like and who the Father is and the Spirit is, but Tim Keller says, and I love this thought, he says, you know, it's like this lake of of, of teaching that Jesus gives us. And every once in a while, he gives us a teaching that allows us to see through the water, and it is so clear we can see to the bottom of the lake, and we see the fullness of it. And as Tim says, this text in Luke chapter 15 is one of those. We can see to the heart of who our Father God truly is and what he is like. Jesus tells a story. He says that a man had two sons. We're not going to talk about 
the older son today, there's a lot that could be said about that, and we did a few years ago. But we look at that younger son, the one we often relate to very well, and in this young man who goes to his father, he says, I, I want my inheritance. And I remember learning this early on, you know, to, to ask somebody, go to your dad and say, I want my inheritance now. What are you saying to your dad? Because generally, when do you get an inheritance? Not a hard question. I know it's 8 o'clock, but when do you generally get an inheritance? When they're dead. When they're dead. And, and the reality is the son while his father is alive, wishes he were dead so that he can get the money. Because he really wants that. He doesn't want the relationship with the father. You can see his vision is closing. The blinders are on. He knows what he wants. And he desires that which he doesn't have, but he knows he can get it. And all he needs is his father to be dead, and everything will be fine. He can do whatever he wants. And then Jesus says... The father kicked him out of the house, said, no way. No, that's actually not what happens. The father grants his wish. You know, maybe you've read this so many times, it doesn't even surprise you. you know, oh, yeah, of course, that's what the father does. Are you kidding me? What father does that? Yet this father does. He divides his inheritance, he gives to his son, and it's soon after this that the, the son leaves, goes out on his own. Jesus says he, he travels away and got all he had, set off for a distant country. There he squandered his wealth. And, and Jesus says, in wild living, we later find out a greater detail from the elder brother who says that he went off and squandered it on prostitutes. And, you know, fill in the blank. This, this was an immoral life that this young man goes off to lead. Maybe sexually, maybe in drunkenness, maybe in other addictions and, and, and splendors and, and just drowning himself in spending money on things that would make him feel good. It's amazing how the blinders in life can come on for us. How much we can become so consumed with things that seem so good and, and seem so right, but often, what is it? Kind of like Paul talks about in our first reading in Romans, where we, we live according to the flesh, not the spirit, and, and the mind controlled by the flesh doesn't have in mind the things of God. And, and people who can seem on the outside to be just outstanding citizens and great people, and, and how we are so, all of us, capable of such evil, terrible things. I know someone personally right now who some months ago had the police surround his house while he was at work. And they started to ransack his house and take, it took all of the computers because it was discovered that he was addicted to child pornography. And uh, he is now in jail and awaiting a sentence, and it is probably going to be severe because it is not his first offense. And, and you're maybe thinking, oh, what a monster! No, he's not. He's actually a really nice guy and a believer in Jesus. And yet this thing, this addiction, this, this thing that you say, how terrible, who could get caught up in that? Happens all the time. I think of the people I've talked to who said, I'm finally happy. What do you mean this affair isn't right? She makes me feel great or he is nice to me. He cares about me. This is who I'm meant to be with. 
and the blinders are on. You know, they, they prove this. They, they find that um, often what goes on in these situations is there's this chemical in the brain called dopamine. It's a drug, and it gets unleashed in our minds that creates tunnel vision, and it, and it feels and senses like this is what we were made for, and the reality is it's, it's actually a drug addiction high that's going on there. It's not based in reality. It never is. It's also why when people end their marriages over things like this, guess what? Something like 98% of those relationships never work out. It's because the dopamine wears off and they realize, wait, this isn't the person I thought they were. It never works. We're so capable. And maybe it's other things, pride or selfishness or workaholism that lead us to go on our little journey. And, and then wish the father were dead because then we can do whatever we want. But then it catches up, doesn't it? There's a time that comes where we realize maybe this isn't what I was meant for. And usually it happens when we get to the end of the resources and the blessings and, and there's emptiness and guilt and shame. And we're like, how, how did I get here? What was I thinking? And it happens for this young man. So as he's there and after he had spent everything, then there's a famine in that whole country. Now, now not only is he out of money, but now there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing to feed on anymore. There's nothing to quench his, his appetite of immorality and rejection of his father. There is a need here. So what does he do? He began to be in need. So he went, he hired himself out, as a, out to a citizen of that country. So this would have been in Jesus' story a young man who's Jewish in his upbringing. He's in a distant land, so he would have been in a Gentile land. And, and what does he do? He's working for a Gentile. And if that weren't enough, he sent him to his fields to feed pigs. So he's a Jewish man working on a pig farm, a hog farm. Uh, talk about an abomination, right? And, and yet, just to see how far his... Life is straight. It says that no one gave him anything. And when he, he, he longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating. Oh, man, that, that one always gets my attention. So have I ever mentioned I grew up in Minnesota? <laughs> have I mentioned that? Yeah. Um, and, and I had family members um, on one side of my family who were farmers. And, and of some of the farmers, uh, some were dairy farmers, some were crop farmers. Um, but w- one of them was a hog farmer. And in fact, that, that farm is where I spent a lot of my childhood and, and around, around these, these, these pigs and these hogs. And I, I'll never forget as a kid the day when my uncle was working and, and uh, this truck pulls up and it's a dairy truck. And they start unloading all of these gallons of milk and just crate after crate of these milk gallons. And I, I said, well, what's, what are you doing with all this? And I said, this must have been really expensive. He said, no, it didn't cost me anything. It's all uh, sour milk. It's past its expiration. It's bad stuff. And he opens one. He's like, take a whiff. I'm like, oh, you know, I just almost fell over. It was terrible. It was disgusting. And I said, what are you going to do with that? He says, watch. And he, he put the cap back on, and he just threw it out among the hogs. And I don't know if hogs can smile, but they smiled. And to watch these guys fight for the gallon of milk, and they just bite into it, and there's milk flying everywhere over them, and they're soaking it all up and drinking it, and they're happy, and he just starts throwing these cartons of milk in, and I'm like, that is disgusting. 
And, and I, I realize, you know, this young man's at a point where that looks good. And, and isn't that, you know, in our sinfulness and our guilt and our shame and how desperate we can become for any morsel of restoration or goodness? Well, this young man comes to his senses, it says. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. So I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Very sincere confession, I would, I would say. And yet his expectation is there's no way his dad's going to welcome him back. This is just kind of to get on the peripheral of being on the, the same estate, working out with the servants. I mean, this, this is his only hope, at least maybe there he'd have food. And, but there's no thought of the father ever welcoming him back. There, this is an impossibility. I mean, he has, he has done too much. You know, and I, I bring that up because I, I do think a lot of us live there. We know our past, and maybe it's even our present reality. We know what we've done. We know what we're capable of doing. We, we know those dark places we've been. Maybe it's the guilt and the shame and the broken relationships, broken families that surround us. We say, how, how did I get here? And, and you know, we, we know God exists and we, we, have, we consider ourselves a believer, but we, we kind of keep him at an arm's distance because there's no way in our mind and in our heart of hearts that God could love us. And so our, our offering to God is, you know, God, I I've, I've messed up really badly. I really don't expect to actually have a relationship with you, but I, I'm going to kind of hang out and come to church once in a while and, and, and kind of treat others like I want to be treated, kind of like the golden rule. I'm, I'm going to follow you, but at an arm's length. It makes me think of, remember Ernest Hemingway? There's a famous story where he writes about a young man by the name of Paco who in Mexico, where this story happened, had left home, squandered everything, made some very bad decisions, hurt his family and his father very badly. And after some time, the father, in Ernest Hemingway's story, put an, an article or a letter in the, in the newspaper, and it said, Paco, meet me in the town square. And, and the last line was, all is forgiven. And uh, as, as the story goes, on the day that the Paco was invited to come and meet his dad, it was there that the father showed up in the town square and there were something like 300 men named Paco, <laughs> all wanting forgiveness. Because that's really our longing, isn't it? Not to just be on a peripheral relationship with the father. We, we say, well, there, there's no way that, that could possibly go further than that, and yet we see and what our God does and what our God shows us and looking to the bottom of the lake with clarity. What is our Father like? When, when this young man comes close, he got up, he went to his Father, and it says that while he was still a long way off, his Father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. Not anger, not indignation, not holding it over him and saying, I can't believe what you did to me. And you know what, I get it. Because maybe you grew up with a Father like that and your idea of God the Father is like that. And you know what? We need to see who God the Father is because Jesus reveals him. God the Father, Jesus clarifies 
filled with compassion for him. He rose, ran to his son, ran to his son. He didn't walk, he didn't stand there waiting. No, he runs, which maybe you've learned this. If you're a wealthy, successful man, you, you don't run, you, you walk or you ride. You don't run. You got to hike up your robe to do that. You don't show your bare legs. This would have been an abomination. But this dad doesn't care because he loves his son and he's there to welcome him home with open arms. He says, let's throw a party. Because this son of mine was lost and now is found. How is that possible? You know, sin has to be paid for, doesn't it? Get a $30,000 bill. How are we going to pay for this, right? Insurance. And that's exactly what happened. Insurance paid for it. But it had to be paid for. When it ended up being the biggest blessing in our house and our family is the restoration that happened in the days that would follow. It wasn't instant, but it took a little time, and over the next several weeks, our whole house got remodeled, and it was paid for. And I think about that in our lives. Maybe our houses are in shambles. Maybe our souls and minds are in shambles. But the love of the Father kicks in and the ultimate price that is paid by our Savior who dies in our place and rises again to new life that brings restoration and new beginnings and new starts to regenerate love and relationship and health and well-being in our families. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called children of God, and that is what we are. It's a beautiful thing today. Praise be to our God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the Father. We thank you for showing us the bottom of the lake and to see clearly how deep and wide and amazing that love of the Father truly is. Lavish that love over us today. As children in need of forgiveness and grace. As children in need of restoration and renewal. Renew that in our minds and hearts that we would not hold you at a distance. But as you come to where we are and you welcome us home. So there's time now to party. And celebrate that restored restoration. In your presence, it's in Jesus' name we ask it and praise you for it as you've lavished it over us. In Jesus, as you live with the Father and Spirit, now and always. Amen.